American soccer continues to grow by the day, and it looks like it's going to descend upon another part of the country. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. As always with me is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, man? How you doing, Garrett? I'm doing well, man. Just getting ready for a, a busy weekend. It's a late recording for us on a Friday afternoon. Well, Friday night for you. And I'm still celebrating the USA's qualification to the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. Uh, I don't think you're alone in that. I think uh, a lot of fans out there are still kind of in recovery mode from the celebration after Tuesday's win. And I can tell you for me personally, it was a crazy eight or nine days between the trip to Costa Rica and the trip to Columbus. And uh, I'm still kind of in recovery mode myself. But, uh, you know, we, we've had a chance to kind of get a few days to, to relax and soak it all in. And it's really sunken in that, you know, the U.S. has booked their place. And uh, now, you know, we can start making plans, start really thinking about Brazil. Obviously, we don't know who they're going to play or where they're going to play mm-hmm. until December. But at least now we know they're on their way. Yeah. And we talked about how important also it was for the U.S. just also to qualify for the World Cup in September because it makes those October games an opportunity for Jurgen to experiment a little bit more with, with the team. And we can obviously talk about all this stuff in a couple weeks from now when those games come up. Uh, you know, we, we and the rosters are announced and we could speculate on who's going to be called in. But obviously, we have, a, we have a big show today. I mean, little U.S. men's national team to talk about. We'll talk about the Costa Rica facing a FIFA uh, investigation. Joel Campbell being investigated for a dive. We'll also talk about Mexico, new coach. We'll do a Q&A at the end of the show. Time to talk about some trades in MLS. Uh, the MLS Week 29 is this week. Big game tonight, RSL taking on Seattle. That's going to be on Friday night. But before we get into all that, as I said in the beginning of the show, a report came out that Atlanta is in serious, not, not the city, but someone in Atlanta is in serious discussions with MLS to bring a major league franchise there. And uh, I mean, Ivis, this kind of came out of nowhere and it's pretty big news right now. Atlanta's kind of been on the radar for some time uh, as a potential option. Uh, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, is someone who has expressed interest before in MLS, uh, that that's cooled off over the last few months, a year or so. But uh, you know, it obviously hit again last night and today, and that's big news now. And Ivis, it plays into what Don Garber really wants. I mean, he talked about how MLS he would like to see an expansion into the southeastern uh, part of the United States of America. I mean, we, we talked about some other teams. I mean, Orlando City really seems like one of those teams that could possibly be getting a bid. There's also reports that there's a team in Miami, and I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that it looks like what the three front runners are, are teams in the southeast part of the of the country. I mean, it, it's pretty wild to see that that three of the four spots could go to teams in that part of the region. Well, it really just makes too much sense, actually. I mean, if you look at a map and you look at where MLS teams are now, there's just that big gaping hole in the top, in the southeast. And it's been there since the two Florida teams uh, were contracted. So clearly for some time now, MLS has looked at that part of the country and known that they need to get back in there. Atlanta has made sense for too long. Just, I mean, it's such a big market. There is a strong... Uh, base of soccer fans there there mm-hmm. are soccer fans there and you know people shouldn't necessarily look at what the atlanta silverbacks do and the attendance there to give them a good measure of that but i mean you can look at things like world cup ratings um general interest whenever there are friendlies there you know when mexico played there obviously they sold it out uh but they've had other you know european club friendlies there and they've done really well there is a strong following there's a strong base of soccer fans there So it can do well there if you have the right ownership. And obviously, you know, if you have Arthur Blank who owns the Falcons, I mean, he's got the financial muscle to to not only bring a team there, but to have have a team actually compete and do well, you'd like to think. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer, really, to have that team there. Obviously, Florida, we've been hearing about for ages. And now 
that's picking up as well. Orlando just seems kind of a lock at this point uh, to come along at some point. We don't know yet what year. But, you know, MLS wants to have rivalries. And if you can bring in Atlanta, Orlando, and Miami, all of a sudden, you've not only have you filled up that previously empty corner of the country, you've also put some teams in, in position where there could be some rivalries. Obviously, it's not going to be quite the same as, say, Philly, New York, or, or Philly, D.C., but, you know, Orlando, Orlando, Miami could become a rivalry, and Atlanta can, can certainly become a rivalry with those Florida teams. So I think it's a great step if, if that's what's going to happen. I think those would be three great choices. Uh, Miami's a little trickier, as one, as we know, just because of how tough it is to succeed uh, running pro sports teams in that market. That's been the case for years now in all these other sports. And you can also make that argument for Atlanta. But, again, it always comes down to the ownership groups, who's going to come in there, what kind of uh, what kind of brains they have there, what kind mm-hmm. of financial muscle they have. David Beckham's been tied to, to Miami. There's been talks that he'd be a part of an ownership group there. So I'll tell you what, if David, if David Beckham's part of a group there, you have to like their chances of maybe doing, of doing some things right there. And and for me, I like Atlanta's chances. Yeah, I, Miami just reminds me too much of Phoenix where you don't have the enough of uh, generational fans where you have a lot of people moved in there. And, and you're right, Miami, I, I just... I, I just see it where you just you don't have many people born there, so it's very hard to get fans to move there to become fans of local teams when they have ties to other teams. But you're right with Atlanta. I think the biggest question people are always going to ask is, you know, where is this team going to play? What's the possibility? Because uh, I mean, the Atlanta Silverbacks, you know, we we talked about it before the show. You know, they they play a little far out of of Atlanta. I mean, I, I'm not totally familiar with Atlanta, but when you look at where this new state, first off, the Falcons are building a new stadium. It looks absolutely awesome. I think I just type Atlanta Falcons new stadium into Google. Anyone listening to the show, it is. Is the coolest looking stadium, just the way it looks on the outside. And then the new team obviously would play in the stadium that Arthur Blank owns. I mean, it'd be a similar setup to the New England Revolution and the Seattle Sounders. I saw some people kind of raising some questions like, oh, you know, we don't want another team playing in a NFL type stadium. But the Vancouver Whitecaps did it, and I think they've done a very good job playing at a bigger stadium and making it look a little bit smaller. Uh, just, you know, it's a dome, so they had that opportunity. I don't see it being like a New England Revolution, maybe more kind of like a mix between the Vancouver Whitecaps caps the Seattle Sounders I mean do you think that MLS is, is going to be okay with something like this a team playing in a bigger stadium regardless if you have an owner that has a lot of money I mean or do you think MLS is going to maybe push for him to eventually have a stadium of his own listen the way it comes down to is this the size of the stadium isn't as important isn't as important as the quality of the product that you put on the field if you don't if you have if you run a team poorly that doesn't win that doesn't get results it doesn't matter what size your stadium is it's going to end up empty it's going to end up not keeping fans there. Toronto FC is a perfect example. When they started out, they filled their stadium. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, you really got a buzz around the city about this team. Now, obviously, after six, seven years now of just failure and misery, they don't pack the place. They don't even come close to packing a place. They've really lost touch with that area, uh, lost the opportunity to really build something there. And look, they have a perfect size stadium in a great location, and that has not mattered. Now, when you look at someone like Seattle – or Vancouver, I mean, these are these are teams, or more, more so Seattle, obviously. Seattle, they play in this huge stadium. There were concerns then when they moved in to, to, um, to Quest Field, now CenturyLink Field. Quite, there were questions then. How would they fill that stadium? What w- would they be able to draw fans there? And obviously, we know now, four or five years later, it's not a concern. They're filling the place completely now. So it comes down to the quality uh, of the ownership group, the, the, the quality of the team, the product that you put out. What they have, from what it looks like, is they have the ability to put a team in a, in a, in a football stadium 
yes, could it be an issue? I, yes, it could be an issue, but it's only for me. I think it's only an issue if you don't do well there. If the team is terrible, if the team just doesn't get results, doesn't play well, doesn't draw fans, uh, then yes, you're going to have an empty stadium and you have an issue like in the early years of MLS where you had teams in these huge stadiums where hardly any fans were going to. But in a lot of those cases, those teams just weren't good teams. I mean, the New York Red, uh, Red Bulls, when they were the Metro Stars playing in Giant Stadium, you know, they had so many bad years that – but people forget the early years, they drew well. They did draw well. They didn't fill Giant Stadium, but they drew good-sized crowds. But they weren't able to maintain that because the team wasn't good. Kansas City in the early years, similar situation. When they were at Arrowhead Stadium – they just couldn't come close to filling it. The team was not that good. Obviously, they turned it around in 2000 and won a title. But it comes down to putting a winner on the field. If you do that, uh, it doesn't matter how big the stadium is. You're going to have a good atmosphere. You're going to have fans come out. Well, Ivis, let's just say that we're right, and we always are right, with that Miami, Atlanta, or Orlando are going to be the next three MLS teams after the second New York team. I think the attention will turn to people now saying, oh, my gosh, who's that fourth team going to be? There's one spot left. Uh, I mean, who who do you think could maybe a city that could really come through? I mean, could a city like San Antonio really step up? I mean, they have they have a good following down there with the Scorpions down there. Could a team like Sacramento, San Diego? I and mean, where do you think the fourth team could come from? Or I saw a hilarious comment from someone. Why don't we just put a team in Alaska, and that way we can just always have a home game against Costa Rica, no matter what, for World Cup qualifiers? <laughs> well, I mean, you already have Colorado for that, so right. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it's interesting. It's inter- interesting to think about who the fourth team could be. And for me, it's a little disappointing that that here we are, four expansion slots, and we're still not really talking about St. Louis. And it's the, and it, I'll tell you what, it's understandable because it still comes down to who is the what is the ownership group, who are the deep pockets that are going to back it, and that's where St. Louis is falling is lacking a little bit. That's where they're they're falling behind. Because I can tell you what, the fans are there, they have soccer fans there, but they still need the financial muscle, and right now they don't have an Arthur Blank. To, to, to really build their their uh, push around. And for that reason, you don't really hear them, and it's a little disappointing. Um, but as far as other teams, I mean, I have heard uh, Sacramento a- as an option. Uh, you know, Detroit, some have mentioned. Minneapolis, I think Minneapolis would, would be great. I mean, I've always known them to have uh, some pretty passionate soccer fans up there. Uh, so I think they're a possibility. I know some people have talked about a fourth Canadian team. Uh, that that would be interesting, although I don't know how crazy I am about that. Nothing against Canada. But, hey, you know, there's enough cities in this country, in the U.S., that, you know, you can have other options. Uh, I know people talk about San Diego, but I know we've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Club Tijuana has taken mm-hmm. over that market, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to really get in there and really compete with them uh, maybe one day, but I just don't see it happening right now. And San Diego has a rich soccer history, too, but you're right. I mean, the, the Tijuana is all over that city. I mean, great. when we talked to Paul Ariola, I mean, what did he say? I mean, Tijuana was his team growing up as a player, even if even if he was from San Diego, and, and they have a rich history with the soccers down there. I was enough talk with this expansion. We could talk about this forever because it's all speculation, but obviously throughout the next couple of years, reports are going to be coming out, uh, you know, certain cities, certain names. We're always going to be hearing things like this, but, I mean, if you're Atlanta – uh, if you're a citizen of there and you're a big soccer fan, I mean, obviously this is very exciting news for you to know that that an owner with some serious money, some serious pull could possibly bring a team 
to the city, to Hotlanta. Ivis, this weekend is MLS Week 29. Lots of storylines going into this weekend. Lots of, We could see tons of movement in the East and Western Conference after this weekend's games. On Friday night, the biggest game on the weekend is going to be taking place. Real Salt Lake traveling up to Seattle to take on the Sounders. The Sounders is a team we've talked about all year long. Oh, do you know, they don't have their full start 11. They don't have everyone in there. But I think for the first time this weekend on Friday... The Seattle Sounders may have close to the full starting 11. Still going to be without Brad Evans, but you're going to have Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey, excuse me, Eddie Johnson, Obi-Femi Martins, and this is a time when we could see Seattle, who has two games in hand behind Real Salt Lake, defeat them, take the first spot in the West. And I mean, it's crazy to think, Ivis, two months ago, what we were saying, Seattle, oh my gosh, but look at them now. They could be first in the Western Conference after this weekend. Well, hey, maybe you were saying that. I wasn't saying that. I've been saying all along, people need to calm down, take it easy. I mean, it was funny to me. Uh, just a few months ago, you had people questioning Siggy Schmidt and whether he should keep his job. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just, it was, I always found it hilarious. You look at it now, even though they have been missing players here and there, they have won seven of eight matches. And they are right in the thick of it. They are in prime position now to take over the top spot in the West. And that, I mean, it, it's in, in, impressive. You have to say it's impressive. Considering everything they've been through with the injuries, missing players, international call-ups, uh, and then you have Real Salt Lake, who've just been outstanding all year. And here we are. Seattle is right on their heels. And and it just shows you, you know, like you have to give them some credit. You have to give Siggy Schmidt some credit for, for doing this balancing act and really trying to shuffle his team around, dealing with the injuries and the absences. And now he has them in prime position. He, I mean, they, they're, they, have, they have everything in front of them. They have the games in hand, and, and, they're, and they're really hitting their stride right now. And, and they're looking – Every bit like a team that can win the title. And, you know, I've, everyone knows, everyone who listens to this show already knows I picked them to win it all before the season. Obviously, that was pre Dempsey. Post Dempsey, you have to like them even more. But you kind of still want to see them really click. And as well, as much as they've had these results lately, they've really started to grind out some wins, uh, rack up some points. But you haven't seen them really dominate, really play like a juggernaut. And then again, part of that's obviously, you know, they've been missing players. Clint Dempsey was away on national duty. Uh, they've had it. Obafemi Martins has had his injuries. Rosales, you know, all these guys have had their injuries. So you haven't seen a full strength Seattle team yet. And now, you know, maybe tonight we get to see the Seattle team, see what they can do, see if they can really dominate a game against the top end opponent. And if they can do that, if they can go, go up against a, a, a tough Real Salt Lake team, and impose their will on them, then we really can can look at them and say, this team is an absolute title favorite. You know, I want you to defend someone real quickly. Clint, Clint Dempsey, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he's regressed since he's come over to MLS. This is just, you know, he's being exposed and everything. I mean, I kind of see this a little bit similar situation to him last year when he made the move over to the Spurs where, you know, it took him a little while to get his legs underneath him. I mean, do you think that's maybe part of this process for Clint where he didn't have maybe a full offseason? He wasn't really sure where he was going to go. And I mean, give it a, maybe a couple more weeks and, and we'll see him back at the level that we're used to him being at. Well, I don't get it, you know, and, and I know I went on this rant the last episode, but I just honestly feel like there, there, there are a section, there are some fans who, number one, have never liked Clint Dempsey, or number two, ha- are holding it against him that he'd come to MLS, or number three, just want to hate him now because he's a Seattle Sounder. Whatever the reason, right? The guy is a player. The guy has done it over and over and over. He has had these slow starts before. He has had these situations where, you know, obviously – at, at, when he first got to Tottenham, he didn't have a preseason with them. He started slowly, but guess what? Eventually, he started picking it up, started putting his, you know, putting his stamp on that team, 
making it making a mark playing a, a really good role with Tottenham last year and he's done it before with Fulham as well where he's had seasons where maybe he started slowly um is he at his absolute best form right now no but I mean I think people are absolutely jumping the gun if they want to take a three or four game sample size and say aha He's been exposed. He can't handle MLS. Like, give me a break. All right? Like, what did people think? That he was going to fly in with a cape, score hat tricks? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, the guy is coming in. He, he didn't have a preseason with this team. So he's, he's, he's had to do a lot of things on the fly. And I still think he's shown some good signs, you know, some, some good flashes. He will get it together. He's a quality player. And anyone who can honestly sit there and say, uh-oh, maybe this is it. Maybe he's being exposed. Maybe he's lost it. Like, I mean – Anyone who's saying that, I honestly believe, had an issue to begin with or want him to fail or want him to struggle as if somehow that, that, that can prove a point that, that they've always felt about the guy. But he's gotten it done for years. He's gotten it done on the club level in Europe, and he's gotten it done in, in, with the national team. So, yes, has he had not had some of his best games uh, in this past month, past month or so? No, he hasn't. But I, I, anyone trying to use that and say, uh-oh, it's uh, you know, it's trouble now. He he got his MLS big MLS payday. Now he's not going to be good anymore. Or I think they're absolutely jumping the gun. Uh, you know, who got their MLS payday and is playing really well. Just just side tangent. Omar Gonzalez looking good ever since he uh, signed that new contract. Ivis, uh, for real, Salt Lake, Seattle. What's your prediction in this game? Who do you think is going to take it? Well, I don't know if anyone's going to hear this before the game actually starts, <laughs> but I, I got to go Seattle. They're at home. I think they got all those guys back. And, and look, nothing against Real Salt Lake. I think they're going to make it a good game, but. I just think Seattle is really playing with some confidence now, especially some of their their, their lesser lesser profile players who, who've had a chance now to step up. Someone like Lamar Nagel, who's got who's playing with a ton of confidence right now. I think I think you have to give them the nod, it, but I think it's going to be a great game. It's it's going to be one of probably one of the top games of the year. Well, as I said, there's going to be a lot of movement this weekend, and we could see a lot of movement in the East. Uh, you pretty much have four teams competing for the final two playoff spots. I think that the Impact Red Bulls, Red Bulls in Kansas City, they're in. Then you have four teams: Union Revolution, Dynamo Fire, all competing for those final two spots in the East. Well, look at it this weekend, Ivis. All four of those teams are playing against each other. Funny how it works out like that. Philadelphia Union will be taking on the Houston Dynamo in this game. Both teams struggling going into this game. When you look at just how they've looked recently, not that good. And both, think about this, Ivis. In the last four games for both teams, Houston has been outscored two to twelve. Philadelphia one to six. So in this game, do you expect any scoring? Is this a game that maybe Jack McInerney can find his feet back, score against a Dynamo team that's really struggling on defense? Or, or we could see both teams struggle and play to a scoreless draw. You know, it's funny. I think I think you find situations like this where two teams are kind of in a funk and, and just not looking good and they haven't played well. And they get in they get on the field and they end up having a great game. They both play together, they both play to each other's level. They put a lot of goals on the board, and you know maybe that's wishful thinking for the people who actually are going to go to PPL Park and watch this game. But I think I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I think uh, both teams are, have been having issues defensively. Uh, I think they're, but I think they're going to be some goals in this game. You know, Philadelphia gets a Moby Akugo back after his two game suspension. That should help Philly's defense. But I think the bigger question is going to be: Can their forwards, can Connor Casey and Jack McInerney, take advantage of a Houston defense that just is absolutely a mess right now? And yes, I know the international. Window didn't help them. I know they had guys that were missing for uh, an international duty, but I mean their problems go beyond the absences of one or two guys. It really, they, I, I, there's something going on there. I don't know what it is. 
But Houston just does not look good right now. And again, we've said it before. They've done this. They've come back from the dead. Mm-hmm. They they they've turned it on at the end of the year when it seemed like they were they were toast. So you can't. You almost can't. You almost never want to write off the Dynamo and a Dom Kinnear coach team. You don't want to do it because he's proved people wrong so many times before. But right now, man, they they have not they have not looked good. So this game is is I mean I don't you know when you want to talk about must wins. This is a game that Houston has to play well. Even if they get a point, you know what? That would at least be – it would show a sign that, you know, they're ready to start turning things around. We all know Houston's not a great road team. But a, a point for me would, would would say a lot. And especially in this race, as we say, four teams battling for two spots uh, pretty much barring a super collapse. But I don't see – we're not for me, I don't think we're going to see New York, Montreal, or KC collapse. I think those are going to be the top three teams. And now you have these, the, you know, Houston. Houston, if you had told me two months ago, is Houston going to make the playoffs? I'd be like, make the playoffs. going to be a top three team. But now I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. They've made this trade uh, dealing away Adam Moffitt. That's a head scratcher for me. So I'm really starting to wonder if they're not in a lot of trouble. And the other game, as you said, well, the other two teams that are in playoff contention, Chicago Fire, New England Revolution, they're also going to be playing on Saturday. And what's great about these two games, Ivis, is that they're only starting an hour apart, both on Saturday. But the Chicago Fire will be hosting the New England Revolution Fire in their last outing, 1-1 draw with Toronto FC. They obviously are not happy about that at all. In this game, though, Ivis, what do you see happening? Do you see the New England Revolution being able to go to Chicago and come back with three points, or, or at least a point? Well, you know, people looking at the results from last week might think, oh, New England's in trouble. But, you know, a closer look at that big loss to Montreal, and, you know, Matt Reese got an early red card that obviously changed things uh, tremendously for them. That was a big loss for them at home. I think they're going to rebound. I think they're going to come back, and they're going to give Chicago a game. The fire really, I think they surprised They disappointed me. And I, don't, I hate to use that word, but they surprised me in, in, in their inability to get the three points in Toronto. And, look, I know road, point, road wins are never easy. But you got to be able to beat a team like Toronto if you want to be a legitimate playoff contender. They didn't get it done, and and that really cost them an opportunity to really close the gap uh, in, in the East. So this game, they need it. This is a game they need more than New England even, just because you know they it's a home game for them. They're coming off. They already had a dis, they already had one disappointing result. So if, I mean, if they have a second one, uh, you know, all of us the, the t- time's running out. You know, the games that these teams have to make close ground. Uh, is 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 running short. So if if they don't get it done, I mean the fire right now. When you we talk about the teams that are in this race, they are fourth out of the four right now. Right? They trail, they trail all three teams. And if they lose, all of a sudden you're you're t- so let's say New England goes into Toyota Park, wins that game. All of a sudden, Chicago is at minimum uh, four points four points behind uh, New England and potentially uh, six points behind Philly. So if Philly and New England both win, the fire all of a sudden are in some serious. So they can't afford to lose this game at home. Pressure's going to be on them. And, you know, New England's going to make it tough. But I, I, I'm going to give the fire the benefit of that on this one. I think even though they might have some fatigue from that midweek game, I, I think they're going to come out and win at, uh, win at home on, on Saturday. Also on Saturday, the Colorado Rapids are going to be hosting FC Dallas. I think a few few months ago, both these teams were in different positions. Colorado on the outside looking in. Dallas on top of the West. But when you look at this game, Ivis, it's quite interesting because with a Colorado win, they can now be five points ahead of FC Dallas. And if FC Dallas loses in this game, do you, is, it, is, is their season officially over or do you see them still being able to have an outside chance of making the playoffs? I don't think a loss means it's over because they'll still have six games to play. 
But I do think if they lose this game, it's going to make it real tough. Because, I mean, look, think about it. Right now, they're two points out of a playoff spot. They're two points behind Colorado, and they're two points behind Portland. Portland plays Chivas USA in a game you'd like to think they're going to win just based on quality. If Portland wins and if the Colorado and Colorado beats Dallas, you're talking you're you're talking about a five point gap, and a five point gap is not going to be easy to turn around. So for Dallas, this is pretty much a must win, and if not a must win, at least a draw. You want to get at least a draw against Colorado um, to to really keep your chances going. Uh, but Colorado, man, they're tough. You know, you, you, they, it, we said it for so long that you know they they're kind of an upstart team. They're ahead of schedule. They're playing over their heads. I, I got to just give them the credit and say, look, they're a good team. There's no more caveats. You got to give them the credit. They're a tough team, top to bottom. Um, they they, they really have really good balance and really good depth that they that they were able to, to kind of cultivate uh, in the midst of all these injuries. So they're legit. You have to take them seriously. And for me, they're a more balanced team than Dallas is. Dallas is so inconsistent uh, that it's hard. To, it's hard to take them seriously when you talk about this stuff. And and now and above all, Colorado's at home, right? They're, they're at home for this one, and and it's tough. It's tough playing in that altitude. So I, I'm going to have to give Colorado the edge. And the other game in the West that we could see some significant movement: Vancouver taking on the San Jose Earthquakes in this one. Uh, this is also another interesting one. I've it's it's, it's it's this is look this is if you're an MLS fan this is a fun weekend because in both the East and the West you're going to see a lot of teams become contenders or pretenders and this is one of those games right here where Vancouver and San Jose both on 37 points, five points behind the Portland Timbers for that fifth spot in the Western Conference and I think a loss here to one of these teams could could severely impact their playoff chances in this one. I mean, what do you see happening in this one? Do you see Vancouver being able to get a victory over San Jose? I'll tell you what, I mean, this is, you have to look at it. I mean, even though, look, most of these teams have six games left, right, six or more, uh, six or seven, uh, you, you got to call this a playing game in a way. The loser's out. I mean, I, I mean, you kind of look at it. Let's say if either of these, whichever, if they don't tie, one of these teams loses, that team that loses could suddenly be eight points out of the playoffs, mm-hmm. eight points. That's, you're not, you're not coming back from that. You're not. So, uh, there's some serious pressure. This is like it's going to be like a playoff game. And if these teams have serious aspirations to make the playoffs, they have to have this one. And I, I'm going to have to give the edge of San, to San Jose in this one. You know, I think they, uh, you know, being at home, they're going to get some guys back off international duty. Victor Bernardez obviously is a big one for them. Uh, getting him back in Clarence Goodson, who's coming off a pretty solid showing against Mexico. Uh, I think I, I like them a lot. I like their chances a lot. I mean, Vancouver, when it comes down to it, uh, and anyone who wants to go back and listen to the episodes, they were sitting in second place in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And I and I said at that time, I didn't see it. I didn't see it out of them. I thought they were going to fall apart. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. And, 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 and I know some people probably thought I was crazy. Look at them now. They've had one win in their last eight matches. One win, and, and they're just really free-falling right now. And, and I don't see them all of a sudden turning it around on the road of all places. I think San Jose wins, and I think San Jose really boosts their chances of uh, putting some pressure on the playoff teams. Well, Ivis, you mentioned it a couple minutes ago. The Seattle Sounders uh, have, have acquired Adam Moffat and a second-round pick in, in exchange uh, for Servando Carrasco. Uh, for the Seattle Sounders in, in Houston Dynamo, what do you make of this trade? I got to say, I don't really get the trade. I really don't. I mean, I don't know what's going on in Houston. I don't know what Dom Kinnear, what made him decide that this was the deal to make when you're a team that's struggling and fighting for your playoff lives to, to, to get rid of a, a pretty popular player and a pretty effective player in Adam Moffitt. Uh, a barring, barring there being a falling out that we don't know about, I mean, if, if, if Moffitt and Kinnear had a falling out 
or, or there's some kind of issue like that. I don't, I don't, otherwise I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I think Moffitt's a, someone who's really been a productive player for them. And, and on a team that hasn't really scored a ton of goals, he's actually come up and scored a pretty decent amount of goals. So my only, I mean, the only thing you can think of is, is that um, he, he just wasn't fitting into their plans anymore, and they're going to go with sticking with just Ricardo Clark and, and, and that defensive role and try to be a more attack-minded team. But I, I don't, I, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. And oh. if you're Seattle, I think it's a win for Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're getting a veteran player, someone who's who's shown he can do it in the postseason, mm-hmm. uh, someone who Siggy Schmidt's familiar with. He was on the the title team. Uh, he was part of the Columbus Crew when Siggy Schmidt was there. So he. He knows him. He knows what he can bring to the table, and and it's even more depth to that team. Uh, you know that already has, uh, you know, guys like Osvaldo Alonso, Charlie Joseph, Andy Rose, uh, in the middle. So it's almost you're almost it's almost like a, an embarrassment of riches. Um, but it's a no brainer if you're Seattle, for my money. Yeah, I mean, and you look at uh, Moffat's career. I mean, you look at all the success that he's had. I mean, talk about adding a veteran leader to the Seattle team because, you know, I think that that that. Things are getting a little restless up there in Seattle, and I think Ivis that the fans and the ownership group wants to make a serious run. You acquire a guy like him who's been there, done it before, good presence in the locker room. I mean, that's a huge win for you, on and off the field. Well, I mean, I don't I, look. I put it like this: I, I don't know if Mavit's going to step in there and play a ton of minutes, but he's a good locker room guy. He's a veteran. Um, nothing against Carrasco, right? Carrasco's shown some signs in, in, in some of the games that he's played. He's got some quality. He's a younger player. And, of course, his claim to fame is that he's Mr. Alex Morgan, and that's what everyone's going to look at. And, and, and I'm sure some people are already asking that question. Is, is, is any part of this trade relating to Alex Morgan? Is she going to make appearances in Houston? Uh, you know, but jokes aside, I don't get it for Houston. I don't get why they did this trade. Well, I guess that's tons of news for MLS Week 29. It's going to be fun to talk about uh, everything that played out this weekend when we do a show on Sunday night for a Monday morning uh, post. Time to bring it back to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, however, though, we're going back a little farther with the Costa Rica match. Costa Rica is now under some investigations uh, for some of the actions during the qualifying game against the U.S. men's national team. Everyone can read about this on soccerbyivis.net, but just to give people an idea of what Ivis and I are going to be discussing, uh, reports state that prior to kickoff, fans booed and whistled during the United States national anthem. The PA turned off Clint Dempsey's microphone as he read out a statement about fair play, and Costa Rica supporters pointed lasers at U.S. coaching staff and players. Ivis, uh, we saw this with Costa Rica trying to file... A, a thing against the U.S. for that for that March game in the snow. I mean, do you see any sanctions going against the Costa Rica, Costa Rica Federation in this? Uh, I gotta tell you, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. You know, it, 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 you can already hear. Look, the conspiracy theorists are already out, and they're looking at it and they say, "Look, Concacaf wants Mexico in the World Cup. They're gonna find any way to make it happen, and the U.S. is gonna help them make it happen." I mean, if you're looking at it on the surface, it, it is a little. It is a little. Uh, That's a stretch. Peculiar. It's a peculiar. No, but listen, it's a little peculiar. You know, the U.S. Uh, going out of their way to file because it's the U.S. that has filed these protests, uh, at least based on, on the reports. Uh, they pro- they have filed protests about all these. Uh, they've given the laundry lists of, of of things that they they object to and they feel like Costa Rica should be sanctioned for. And for me, I don't know if it's necessarily as uh, I don't buy into the conspiracy theory that you know they're helping Mexico get in. I think it's more of a, a payback uh, for all mm-hmm. the, the the gamesmanship that went on during the week. Everything that Costa Rica tried to put the U.S. through, uh, they're giving it back a little now, and they're they, they've given this list of uh, of things that they feel should not have been allowed to happen, and they're trying to get some sanctions thrown on uh, thrown on Costa Rica. And for me, I. I, I don't buy it, right? I, I think any oh, is it is it ideal that some of these things happen? Not at all. But 
other they've happened in other places and there have been no sanctions. I mean, when you talk about the laser, look, the lasers are a problem in the in the sport and as a whole. You hate to see it, but are you really going to say are you really going to play in an empty stadium because of this? And if so, why didn't you do it earlier? Everything that they've complained about happening in this game happened in Azteca when the U.S. played Mexico. But you didn't. Have, there were no complaints there. There were no none of these things were no formal protests were were filed by the U.S. You had laser pointers in that game. You had the American anthem completely booed out in Azteca. You didn't hear it. The players on the field couldn't even hear the anthem uh, in in Azteca. So it it all rings a little hollow. But I think it has more to do with just rubbing it rubbing it in a little. Getting them back a little for everything that went on in Costa Rica leading up to that game. Now, one thing I will say, I'm totally on board with with them uh, filing a protest over Joel Campbell's uh, complete sham yes. uh, of a you know of a dive uh, to get Matt Beesler yellow carded. For me, the guy. For me, he should. He I if I was the the all all powerful judge in this case. I would make him sit the opening game of the World Cup. And I know that sounds harsh, but look, at the end of the day, they've already qualified. These last two qualifiers in October don't mean a thing. He needs to be punished. You can't allow that stuff. And these important games to someone for someone to cheat that blatantly and, and force a player like Beesler to miss a game, a miss a very important game, which he ended up missing the Mexico game, that stuff needs to be rooted out. He needs to be punished. But guess what? I don't see it happening. He's not going to miss any World Cup games. If anything, he's going to be suspended for a couple of qualifiers that he probably wasn't even going to play in anyway. And that's sad and it's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, all you can hope for is maybe there's some justice done. But I, sadly, I don't think we're going to see any. Oh, I think I hope well, I hope for Joel Campbell justice is done for that. I mean, I, I'd like to see Beezer taken off and I hope he gets suspended for that. I mean, I, I thought the comments by the Costa Rica head coach, Jorge Luis Pinto, was hilarious afterwards. I mean, afterwards, I mean, he, he quote, it's an aggressive act and it's resentful of the United States. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, come on. How can you really? I mean, I know you're a coach and you have to support your, your team and your federation. But I mean, he just looks like an idiot here when when I don't know. I, I just think that Costa Rica, like, this is what you get. You're right. This is what you get for being complete. You know what? Uh, he's delusional. I'm sorry. I can't believe that. the. I mean, yes, you want to defend your own team. But for his response to what do you think about your player blatantly faking uh, a, a dive uh, to get a player carded that when he wasn't even touched, for his response to that being, oh, yeah, well, what about the people recording our bench <laughs> behind us? What is that? What does one thing have to do with the other? Nothing. Your player cheated. Your player, your player blatantly faked, blatantly faked an injury. Um, so, I don't know. I, it, it, he's delusional, right? He's still... He's probably still, you know, he's a little drunk for celebrating getting into the World Cup. They're happy. He's happy. And all of a sudden, he's got to deal with this nonsense. Um, I don't know. You know what? At the end of the day, it's not really going to matter for the U.S. It doesn't matter for the U.S. Mm -hmm. It could matter for Mexico. Because in theory, if CONCACAF or FIFA FIFA decides, you know what? Costa Rica, you're playing in an empty stadium in your next home game. uh, That's the Mexico game. That's the Mexico-Costa Rica qualifier on the final uh, hex match day. In October, I want to be there. I'm, I'm thinking about going because, uh, um, look, let's face it. The U.S.-Panama game is not going to mean anything. The Costa Rica-Mexico game is going to be where it's at. And if it's in an empty stadium, that's going to be a sight to see. Um, and and that will help. That would help Costa, uh, Mexico. And Costa, and Joel Campbell being suspended potentially would help Mexico. Um, so I don't know. It's all a little crazy. Uh, I, hope, I hope that doesn't happen. I think that would be harsh. But I do think Joel Campbell, something needs to happen to Joel Campbell. 
Well, Ivis, we've reached the end of the show. You know what that means. It's the SBI Q&A. Everyone can send in questions if you'd like. Remember, hashtag AskTheSBIShow. You can send them in at any time. Ivis and I always check it on Twitter to see what you send in. And uh, we appreciate all the questions that come in. First question comes from your boy, Brian Abernathy. Odds that Garrett may not be a real person. Seriously, get to a game. That's what he says. Brian, I will be at the U.S. Open Cup final two weeks from now, and I will also be at the MLS Cup. I will be there. Ivis, I think you're going to be at the MLS Cup, so I think we can finally meet a year after we've done the show. I believe that. Hey, maybe we'll make that the 100th show. Maybe we'll, we had to plan it out. So show 100 is at the MLS Cup. Oh, that could be good. We had to like we yeah. could like we could like rent out like a, like a bar and have a party there and something like that. You know, do the show there live with the fans in the background. You know. Well, we have SBI has been known to do MLS Cup parties, so Ooh. I think we could do it. I think we might do it again. So yeah. maybe that's the, that's the plan. I got to start planning that out. Next question comes from Jeremy. Hey, can you break down the Maxi Ready trade? Seems like Portland got a steal, but what's going on at TFC? Well, I guess it is a bit of a head scratcher, right? I mean, for all the hype uh, surrounding uh, Arudi uh, in the build up to his acquisition, and, and now they've turned around. Toronto turns around and they dump him. They trade him to Portland, and now all you hear is Ryan Nelson talk about it. What a bad player he was! And now he wasn't going to play for them. There were a lot. There's a lot of uh, insinuations that he was out of shape. So that, that it's it's it makes you scratch your head, right? What was going on in Toronto? Mm-hmm. That, you know, they they put everything into bringing this guy. Obviously, Kevin Payne wanted him, and then once Kevin Payne got the boot, uh, they, they didn't need him anymore. All I'm hearing from 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 my people is that Rudy's legit, and that Rudy's going to be able to make an impact there, and he could end up being the just the player Portland needs uh, to help their run. And uh, we'll find out soon enough who's right. Someone's going to look really good and someone's going to look really bad because I tell you what, if a Rudy turns out to be a flop, then, you know, TFC is going to look really smart for letting him go. At the same time, you're going to ask yourself, how are you even uh, going after this guy? But if a Rudy scores goals, if he ends up really making an impact there and being the guy that Portland needs to help them in the playoffs or get to the playoffs and do something in the playoffs, that's you're going to have to ask some serious questions of TFC. And it wouldn't be the first time either. We look at look at Luis Silva a couple months ago. I mean, he came oh, right away. Silva, I, I know that's. A, I mean, he came and started scoring for DC United. Jeff Cunningham, Edson Buttle, Connor Case, like players. Some, I mean, it's it's a who's who uh, of, of of forwards that have come through in Toronto. For whatever reason, it didn't happen in Toronto, and then they've gone on and been amazing elsewhere. So, if you're a forward and you want to resurrect your career, you get traded to Toronto and then get <laughs> traded away from Toronto, and you will score a lot of goals. <laughs> Next question comes from Eric Fox. Are you nervous about going to the World Cup with an MLS back line? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> well, I'm not nervous about – I have no nervous – no, no worries about the U.S. team because it's not, you know, it's not my problem. I'm more concerned about being able to travel all over Brazil uh, where these games are going to be. Uh, but if you're asking about the, uh, the, the, the state of the national team pool defensively and the defender pool – uh, the backline pool. I mean, I, you know, there's some questions, but I don't think the whole MLS thing, I, I think that's irrelevant. I mean, I think Matt Beasley has shown quality. Omar Gonzalez has shown quality. Clarence Goodson has shown quality. Are they, you know, are they Tiago Silva and Vincent Company and the best center backs in the world? No, no one's saying that. But I think you have a good group of guys, good center backs, Jeff Cameron as well, John Brooks potentially, if he, he keeps growing as a player. I mean, that five, uh, in terms of athleticism, uh, on-the-ball ability, uh, ability to dominate in the air. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of qualities in that group. And 
I don't. I, I think. I think people who still kind of look at MLS and and try to use the label of MLS player as a negative connotation. I just don't think you're. I just. I just think it's 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 outdated. You know. I think MLS is better than it used to be, and I think the quality of defender now, the quality of player now, is better than it has ever been in MLS. So for me, having Matt Beasley, Omar Gonzalez, and Clarence Goodson, don't look at them at who they play for. Look at them for what they've done internationally this year. I mean, Matt Beasley. Uh, and and Gonzalez, they went in Azteca, they got the job done. Gonzalez and Goodson against Mexico here got the job done. They've gotten the job done against some pretty tough competition. So uh, for me, I wouldn't say I'm worried. I think if you have a rash of injuries, then yeah, then you could start talking about it. But from a depth standpoint, center backs I think are pretty fi- are fine. Fullbacks, there's a little bit of a concern there because Steve, you know, Steve Trundolo is a guy who I think you want to have get healthy and be healthy and, and because his quality, the drop-off from him to the other options at right back is considerable. So if you find a way to get him, if he can get healthy, you wait for him. If he can get healthy, you you do what you can to get him on that team. Um, but, I mean, other than that, left back, you got Phoebe, uh, uh, Beasley, Fabian Johnson, who I think are two solid options. Brad Evans is looking at right back. So, I, I, you know what? I'd say overall, the defense, defensive pool, the defender player pool is not bad at all. Next question comes from Jared Tong. Who is a surprise candidate to get called up to the remaining World Cup qualifiers? McGee, Villarreal, Cleverly, Agadello? <laughs> Cleverly, nice. <laughs> um, uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I know you're not getting called up. <laughs> so uh, I think they got Clarence Goodson to fill out the like skinny... Uh, Skinny, gangly guy. Oh my god! Did you first off, first off, you, you saw that picture with me and Nick Daly on. I mean, dude, how small do I look compared to him? You're, what are you five four? How no, you? stop it! I'm like five eight on a good day. Okay, I'm like five eight, and then like after I eat Chipotle and jump in the pool, I'm maybe like a buck fifty five. <laughs> well, listen, um, surprise call ups. That's a good one. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you could see a Yedlin. You could see a Villarreal. Some of the younger guys to get a look. You know, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann has mentioned it before uh, about wanting to get a look at some of the younger guys. So, you know, if you think about the right back position, uh, why not call in someone like Yedlin or Andrew Farrell? You know, I think those guys are are looking pretty good in MLS play. Uh, Villarreal obviously brings some unique qualities as an attacker. Maybe he's still a little young, you know, maybe. But... You know, or, Lu- or Luis Gill. Luis Gill, we can talk about a midfielder, a young midfielder. So I think I think we're going to see at least maybe one or two of the U-20 players get a look in October. Hey, that'd be great, Luis Gill. I mean, he looked outstanding at the World Cup, the U-20 World Cup. Uh, next question comes from Chris McGuffin. Is the U.S. men's national team better off playing Scotland in the November friendly or an African slash South American team? Well, that's a, you know, I'm glad you asked that. And I know a lot of people are not happy about U.S. playing Scotland, right? They, because they, they figure, you look, we crushed Scotland last year. They're not a power. Why do you play this game? For As far as I know, uh, just from looking at it, it's a safe bet that the deal that they put in place to play them was a home-and-home setup. They played them here. Now they got to play them there. So it's one of those cases where you have to play them, right? You made that arrangement already. You have to fit them in. So you play them. And I, I think, you know what? I don't, I don't know if people should necessarily look at that game in uh, Jacksonville and say, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to bring anything to the table. They're not going to be a good test. 
I tell you what, that Scotland team is going to be a tough test when <clears throat> when they're playing. I'll tell you what, when they go play in Scotland with a full strength team in Hampton Park, they're going to give them a tough test, much tougher test than they gave them in Florida, where it was pretty clear to anyone who was down there. And I was in Florida for the training camp. I saw I got a good glimpse of the Scottish team. Those guys were a in holiday mode and b not ready for the Florida heat. And it showed, and they got destroyed. It's not going to be the same thing in Scotland. It's not. So, yeah, would it be better if they could play an African team? Sure, but guess what? African teams are, you know, they they will have – they don't know who's going to make the World Cup yet, right? I mean, they still have to go through their playoffs. Um, uh, Right now they're down to the last ten teams, and they're going to – you know, five teams are going to make it out of those – out of that group. So they don't even know who's going to make it yet. So I I don't know if they're ready to make any kind of of preparations. So – uh, I tell you what, come next year, you want to play an African team. You want to play an African team in a friendly, uh, a, a good African team, right? You want if you can if you can get them. It's not always easy either to to because uh, everyone else wants to play them too. And you know if, if the choice is to play either the U.S. or or Brazil or Spain, uh, sorry, but the U.S. is going to lose out. So that's what people also have to consider. So I don't know if people should consider this Scotland game a throwaway. I think it's going to be a good test. Next question comes from unknown soccer fans. Should Klinsman not call up too many A-teamers to avoid possible injury? I think back to the Onyebu one. Well, I mean, that's a little unfair, right? I mean, that in 09, the U.S. had just clinched the game before. They had their team together already. So you, weren't, you, can't, you couldn't bench everybody. And at, up to that point, Onyewu hadn't really had, like, major injuries. It was a freak injury. His knee gave out. And the rest is history, right? His career has never quite been the same. Um, I, I, do th- I don't think it's going to be a full-strength team anyway. I, I still hold – I stand by that. I just don't think you're going to see that. A lot of these guys have played a lot of games already. I mean, someone like Clint Dempsey, I mean, does he really need to play in these qualifiers? Absolutely not. He's got enough games to worry about. You let him rest for the rest of the year. Um, so I, I don't think it's the injury concern so much as as the wear and tear and the chance to see some younger guys. So I, I think from that standpoint, um, I agree it shouldn't be the A team, but I don't think it's because of fear of of, of a freak injury. In the final SBI Q and A Q and A question for this show comes from Brian Fonville. Is this the best iteration of the U.S. men's national team? It's the deepest U.S. men's national team to date, right? I think that's the general consensus. I mean, you talk to most of the players, most of the veteran guys, Landon Donovan, uh, for one, has pointed to this as being the deepest team. I don't know if anyone is, is ready to say best team. And it's a, and those are two different things, right? Deepest and best are not the same thing. Deepest can mean you have more good options at a variety of positions. Best team can be the, the, the group that could put the best 11 on the field. And I, I tell you what, that 0-2 team at the World Cup, it was pretty damn good when you had a healthy John O'Brien, Tony Sana, you know, storming down the wing, Eddie Pope at his best, Claudia Reina still getting it done, playing outstanding against Germany in the quarterfinal. That team was damn good. 20-year-old Landon Donovan, 20-year-old Demarcus Beasley. That 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 was a team. But I'll tell you what, this team has the has the has the ability and, and has the possibility to be the best team ever. If some of these younger guys continue to develop, if Josie Altidore continues to build and, and, and work his way up the ladder and, and be an international force. Uh, but, you know, when you look at that 0-2 team, uh, great team, this team has the ability to maybe be a, eventually be a better team. When you talk about the team that's going to be in Brazil, 
if some of these younger guys continue to develop, when you talk about guys like Aaron Johansson, John Anthony Brooks, Mix Discrude, Josie Altador, or Josie Altador continues to develop, if, if, he, if he really turns it on in the Premier League, uh, and Matt Beasler, Omar Gonzalez, these guys are still getting better as players. If, if, if the growth continues across the board, especially with some of those younger guys, yes, this could end up being the best U.S. team ever. Well, Ivis, that wraps up the show today. That wraps up the Q&A, and that wraps up everything we need to talk about going into this weekend for everyone uh, listening to the show. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, we'll get back to our normal schedule starting next, uh, next week. We'll do our Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, hopefully you guys can give this show a listen over the weekend. Uh, there's, there's a ton of soccer action going on, whether it's MLS play, uh, some great European soccer games, and also some good college action. Uh, for those of you interested in the college soccer game, uh, you know, we, we, we try our best to, to provide some co- coverage of the college scene, uh, quite a few really good games. So you want to check that out on, a, on the on the website if you're curious about what games to keep an eye out for. So uh, be, you just want to make sure you want to keep reading SBI. And, and also for those of you who've missed it, I've, I've joined the Goal.com team as their lead writer now. So you can definitely check out some of my work over there as well. So uh, plenty for you guys to read uh, to keep you guys uh, informed and uh, keep you entertained. We can also read the website, Ivis. Soccer by Ivis. I mean, you still write there too, so tons of information on the website. It's yeah, we got we got something for everybody. So whether it's <laughs> NASL, college soccer, European soccer, Americans abroad, MLS, you name it, it's covered. Yes, well, Ivis, have a great weekend, man. That wraps up the show. Yes, sir. And uh, see, uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon, and we'll, we'll start the plans already for episode one hundred at MLS MLS Cup, at, at wherever that may be. I, uh, what I feel like we're gonna have to do like a couple like 10 minute shows just to get to 100. <laughs> no, we're gonna, we can, we could keep at our current pace and get to 100. I'm gonna map it out. I'm gonna start mapping it out right now. Yeah, you do that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, let me know because that would be actually pretty cool if we could have the 100th show of the SBI at the MLS Cup final with a big party and fireworks and, you know, you know, bottle service and, you know, <laughs> alcohol and bikini that's girls how, and, you know. That's how SBI does it. So anyone who, was at, anyone who was at our MLS Cup party in 2011 can tell you it was an epic night. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be the judge of that, Ivis, because we'll, we'll see. Well, hey, hey listen. It's not going to be Project X level like the folks in Columbus just did. And I'll say it again. That, that, that day before the game party in Columbus, I'm sorry. It, it was probably the best party, the best AO American Outlaws pregame party, day before the game party I've been to. And I've been to a lot of them. Kansas City normally has been the, the, the kind of standard bearer, and you still got to give Kansas City love because they, they, they put together great parties in Kansas City. Those folks know how to party. But that party in Columbus, was it was, it was epic. There's no other way to say it. It was outrageous. Nice. Well, hopefully we'll, uh, we, can, we can outdo them. So, Ivis, have a good weekend, man. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you on Sunday night. Yes, sir. And everyone, as always, we appreciate the comments, reviews, everything else that you do to provide support for the show. This is the SBS Show. 